0: Authorities are baffled when they find the charred remains of a man who may have willingly crawled into a boiler. And then we take a look at two pieces of technology. One is haunted by the soul of a dead man. The other one is haunted by the voices in your head. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. And one thing that I want to do is I want to recognize people who help support the show in whatever way. You guys know I do the Patreon shoutouts. But as I was looking through my YouTube channel, a lot of people have donated through the Super Chat. Very, very generous donations, especially during the Thanksgiving livestream. I want to give you guys shoutouts, too. So I'm going to sprinkle you guys in among the Patreons, but if you donated during the Thanksgiving live stream or other live streams that I still have access to, you'll get your chance to play the Carboner Copter, because I, oh, I think that's that's fair. I really appreciate the support. So first off, let's give a shout out to one of our live stream supporters, The Rampart. Everyone give a round of applause to The Rampart. He's doing the robot. He's knocking over stuff. What is a Rampart? Isn't it a wall? He's just standing there. He's, he's perfectly motionless. Rampart, you are going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the show financially, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out tremendously. So we're we finally get We start tickling the Rampart, so he starts moving. Rampart, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are driving up to... Bellingham, Washington. is going down the dusty roads. So I got this story from a YouTube listener named BBBH. So I got to give you a tip of the hat for recommending this. I had never heard of this before. It's a creepy little mystery. I also want to give a little tip of the hat to Dean Kahn. He's a journalist for the Bellingham Herald. And a lot of my information I got from an article that he wrote. So let's dig into this one. Rampart is driving us up to Bellingham, Washington, and as we're going there, we're going to hit that little time travel button, we're back in the year 1987, specifically, it's September 20th, 1987, car pulls up, Twin Peaks music is playing, it's beautiful, it's super creepy, we keep waiting to see Killer Bob in the back seat. he's not in the backseat though, he's uh, hiding underneath your bed, guys, sweet dreams, Killer Bob's waiting for you. We are headed up to Georgia Pacific's Waterfront Mill. Dun, 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 dun. Little mill there. Really slow opening credit sequence. I started watching Twin Peaks again, so it's on my mind. If you haven't watched it yet, watch it. The Georgia Pacific's Waterfront Mill, what they do is they burn, they make steam. Steam. They make steam there. They put it in a box. If you ever bought steam? You probably bought it from Georgia Pacific Mill. I don't actually really know what they do. I have in my notes that they burn fuels to make steam to power the mill. But why don't you just use the fuel to power the mill? Why are you burning wood to make steam? And then there's like a big steam machine. A big giant uh, steampunk robot up there carrying around logs. Just burn stuff. And make stuff go. Make stuff go. You're like, Jason, that's not how science works. You just can't throw wood into a fire and then your car starts. I don't know. We can debate. We can debate the science behind it. But anyway, so this is a place to create steam. There's 10 boilers in this place. And we're going to look at boiler number nine. So we're walking around this George Pacific mill. There's a couple employees there. Everyone is kind of in their office. It's quite a noisy place. So when people are working there, they're just kind of away. They play a really good game of hide-and-go-seek. Actually... That kind of leads into what this story is. We're walking into the mill and we see 10 boilers. They're about 10... It's about like a 10-foot square box, but it's up to... It's 20 feet tall, so it's like 10 feet around. This is a science podcast. It's like a 10-foot by 10-foot box, but it's 20 feet tall. The reason why we're here in September 20th, 1987, is because a bunch of cops are here as well. They got a phone call from the mill. Ah! They open the top gate of the boiler, and they look down, and the worker's like, Yep, that's what I saw in there. (laughs) This is this guy's first acting job. He's looking at the camera. It's in there. The director's like, What? You're not even... There's not even a director! Why are you acting so weird? There's a body in there, and the cops are looking down there, and what they see is it's about a 20-foot drop. There's a layer of pipes before you hit the ground level. And laying there is a human body. The cops are like doing Rochambeau to see us to crawl in. Crawl in and get the body. The body is of an unidentified man who's been cooked. It's been cooked so much that it's partially skeletonized. So you see like bones sticking out and stuff like that. And then like it's all like sizzling. I don't think there's still steam lines coming off of them. But definitely dead. Definitely cooked. What's interesting is they're looking at the body and they go, okay. We don't know who this is. We can make some guesses. 25 to 35-year-old man. We think he's probably about 5'8", 5'9". Very slight man, though. 130 to 155 pounds. And so that's kind of like their first thing. When they take it back and they do the autopsy, they start to realize stuff. Two broken thigh bones. And they're like, well, that might happen if you fall 20 feet onto a bunch of pipes. Right arm is broken. They notice that whoever this was, took their jacket off and placed it underneath them. They had torn their shirt off and wrapped it around their leg as some sort of splint. But most chilling of all is he had socks on his hands. So cops are looking at each other and they're like, you know, the sock puppet show ended last week. And the other cop's are like, I know. I know I went to it. I took my kids to it. It was awesome. So this guy wasn't here for the sock puppet show. And they're like, no. What this man, the reason why this man had socks on his hands is what the cops believe. Is he tried to crawl out as the boiler was activating. The boiler reaches 370 degrees when it's turned on. Pshhh, all that steam enveloping your body. You think you're reenacting that scene from Empire Strikes Back. With Han Solo in the Carbonite. This is the worst kind of cosplay because it kills you. They think that this guy. These are their theories. That it was a dude just wanted to really hang out inside of a boiler and uh, they turned it on. He's like, oh, this is awesome place. He's putting up posters and stuff like that, and then he hears, like, time to activate Boiler 9. He's like, "Uh uh-oh. They think it's that, that a guy did it willingly, too, that he was dead before he was thrown in there, but that's when the cops are like, well, we know the Sock Puppet Festival already ended, so that doesn't make sense. He was probably alive when he went in there, but it's possible that somebody threw him in there. Somebody beat him up, broke his legs, because 20 feet, you can break your legs, But he broke his thigh bones. That's a I mean, you could do it. They also said it's possible that his legs were broken when somebody threw him into the boiler. But whatever the case, they figure he had enough wherewithal to try to protect himself from the scorching heat. So he throws a jacket underneath him to kind of protect himself from the pipes with that super hot water running through the pipes. And with the socks on his hands, was trying to crawl out and it didn't. They don't know... Well, they know how he died. He got cooked. But they don't know when he died. So they don't know who it is. They don't know how they got in there. Oddly enough, like, almost like, if this was not a novel, you would think it was fake. He was burned up. He was cooked. But it's like a steamer. It's not like Freddy Krueger's Flame Factory. In the boiler, there was a ticket for an airplane. Continental Airline ticket. But... It was not scorched so much that you couldn't read what airline it was, but it was scorched enough that you couldn't see registration number, seat number, name, nothing like that. It was just a tantalizing clue of who this could be. Their theories are suicide, curiosity, murder, or a prank. One of the theories that came up later on was someone said, hey, listen, we are a bunch of urban explorers, and normally we go into abandoned things, (laughs) <laughs> we really like living on the edge. We, we used to go into the mill and sneak around because it's a pretty cool place. We actually paid off an employee because there wasn't a lot of employees. It was super loud. Everyone had their little office they would hide in. You'd have these people go in and they'd kind of be like, hey, look at this. <laughs> I mean, we're going to come during the tour, but it's way cooler at night. An employee let him in. This guy tells a story that one summer, some out-of-towner from New York showed up. And wanted to join us. And, and we said, yeah, you can join us. It's really cool. But you got to be careful because we're not supposed to be here. Our employee who we pay to let us in, he has a signal that when he blows it, we get out of there. And we have this predetermined meeting spot. And the newcomer is like, yeah, sure, I'm totally down. So then they go inside. And I don't know what you would do in a place that, I mean, it's not like an abandoned insane asylum. It's a functional mill that people are working in. But they would go and They'd sneak around. And then the warning thing was blown, and everyone ran out, but the New Yorker never came out. And they're like, okay, okay, <laughs> I mean, he's from New York, he can probably take care of himself. And this group went home. They went their separate ways. So when the police heard the story, they began looking into missing people from New York, matching that description. They narrowed it down to, like, five people, but none of them could ever really be confirmed to be the man in the boiler. And that seemed to be it for a long time. This mystery hadn't been solved. But in 2006, there was a man named Richard Severson who always had his suspicions about this event. He worked at the Western Washington University. He was a steam engineer at the steam plant at that university. And he tells this story to a journalist. He says, back in 1987, this summer, a woman was on the tour of this. There was multiple people, but one of them happened to be this woman who was on the tour that he was giving at the steam plant. He said she was about 30 to 40 years old. She's about five foot six tall. She's a very wiry woman. And, you know, you didn't really think anything of her. She's just walking around and stuff. And then we got to one of the boilers and she said, can I crawl into that? And he's like, yeah, I mean, sure. Hey, let me open this little gate for you. It's not an operation. You can crawl in. And he goes, she crawled in and then she got back out. He's like, okay, tour group, let's go look at this next boiler that's identical to this one. But she crawled back into the boiler. And the guy's like, dude, you can't, come on, get out of there. And then she crawled back out. And then she crawled back into the boiler and crawled back out. And this went on and on and on. She kept coming in and out of the boiler. Eventually, Richard kicked her out. Says, said, you got to get out of here. I got a tour to run. <laughs> Very professional guy. I went to college for this. I got my degree in tourism you got to get out of here and as she's leaving he says why don't you go to the georgia pacific mill and the reason why he said that one because he just wanted her off the property but two he goes i know they have security there and they do have security there but you know it's security at a mill it's not security at a top secret nsa base so he said that and he goes a couple weeks later he had heard about this body being found and he Waited until 2006 to tell this story. He was kind of thinking about it. But the interesting thing was he kept telling himself, but the person I saw was a woman, and they keep saying it was a man. To this day, they have no idea who this person is or was. They have absolutely no idea who it it is. So after a very long nap that I just took, I took a nap, dude. Insomnia sucks. I've been up all night. Eventually, I had to go to sleep, so I'm basically sleeping in the factory in the Georgia Pacific Mill, and everyone's kind of standing around, and I'm all comfy. I have a little Veronica doll cuddled up. You're like, dude, come on, man. We got to listen to this podcast to start nudging me with your foot. Oh, 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 Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Rampart, call in that carbonercopter. copter. We are leaving behind the Georgia Pacific Mill. I think that's what it's called. Like I said, I just woke up from a nap. We are headed out to an arcade. We're flying around for hours. We can't find an arcade. Eventually we do find one. There is an arcade in Alameda. I lived in Alameda for a time. There's an arcade down there. That's really cool. I think you pay like five bucks and you can stay there all day. Wouldn't that have been a dream when we were kids, dude? Anyways, we're walking into the arcade. We're super cool. We got on our new leather jackets. We're pushing everyone aside. Cause we're headed straight for the NBA jam game. It's two-on-two, two, guys. Actually, that's sound effects for Space Invaders. He's on fire! Oh yeah! Punch it in the hole. B-ballin'! I actually never liked... I never liked NBA Jam. I liked the, like, the artistry of it. I could obviously tell there was a lot of care into it. What's the one? Like, Toasty! No, that was Mortal Kombat. He's on fire! Damn, son! No, I wish they had had that sound clip back then. You had, um, NBA Jam... If <laughs> you don't know, people are like, what in the world is NBA Jam? ch choke on it! It's a game, basically, imagine a normal basketball game, but... The announcer is in the middle of some meth binge, three-day meth binge, and all the players have, like, normal-sized bodies and then oversized heads, and you could do super moves. So I think if you had three uncontested shots—I don't remember this from playing the game because I never played it, but I was researching it—I think if you have three unchallenged shots in a row, you get FIERY FLAME, and then, like, that is the is—people are constantly yelling— Yelling in your ear the whole time you played? It's a game. I played it like maybe three or four times. Like, because I, I enjoyed the artistry of it. I thought it was a really cool game, but I'm not into basketball. It's just not my cup of tea. It's not my butter and jam. People are like, I've already shut the podcast off. I'm tired of you yelling in my ear. Sorry. Anyway, so the people who made. NBA Jam, or Midway, they made a ton of game, they made Mortal Kombat. NBA Jam actually made more money than Mortal Kombat. The reason why I'm talking about it on the Paranormal Podcast is, as we've been playing this game, people are finally, and people are finally out because I keep yelling. They're like, it's not even from that game, dude. Check your mortgage. They're like, what? People keep emptying from the arcade until eventually it's just us, and all the lights are off, and the only game that's being played right now is NBA Jam. And that's when I go, this is a perfect time for a ghost story. Plus, I've, I've lost all my quarters and I've lost all my $5 and broke. Can't play games anymore. Let's tell a ghost story. Back in May of 1993, this was actually from um, an interview with Mark Turmel. He is the lead game designer for Midway. He did a interview with ESPN. It was a retrospective of the creation of NBA Jam. It came out in May 1993. In June of 1993... NBA player for the New Jersey Nets, Drazen Petrovic died in a car accident. Absolutely tragic. He was a young man. He was considered one of the best shooting guards. I don't know what that is, but it's written in my notes. <laughs> Regardless of his skill behind the ball, it's tragic that he passed away. Now, he's one of the players in NBA Jam. You can play as Petrovic. Of course, there would be no they're like, "Oh, nope, he's passed beyond the mortal coil. Delete his code." Like he's a big player. People are fans of his so he's in the game. What happened one night was at Midway, at Midway Studios, they were playing one of their newest games, Mortal Kombat. you finish him, Toasty, finish him. Oh, a flawless victory. See, I know all those ones. But as they're playing Mortal Kombat, the NBA Jam's next to it, and it's running the demo screen. It's running the screen to kind of get people attracted to the machine, and just out of nowhere goes Petrovic. Kind of look at each other. Now, the game does yell out players' names. It was just kind of an eerie moment late at night. They're continuing to play Mortal Kombat. Petrovic! Stop playing Mortal Kombat. They look over at the machine. Is Petrovic even on the screen? No, it's the demo screen. Petrovic! The NBA Jam Machine would call out the name Petrovic just at random times. And it would do it with no other player's name. You didn't have to be playing the game. It would just be running that mode trying to attract viewers. Petrovic! Mark Termell said we never were able to figure this out. And he goes, this isn't a spooky ghost story for Midway that we tell the interns. If you have a first edition NBA Jam machine, it will yell out Petrovic at random intervals. The machine that was made right before he died is the only one that screams out his name in the middle of the night. It's a creepy ghost story. It's no doubt it's a creepy ghost story. And what's interesting, it's it's most likely some sort of glitch. But if it was yelling out Pippin over and over again, no one would know except for people who hate Pippin. Except for people who like the Detroit Pistons. But other than that, you, you wouldn't think anything of it. But you have this guy's name who had just died very recently being screamed out through this. Now, the idea of like a ghost possessing a computer, that's... Pretty standard. Maybe not necessarily like a ghost, but we have stuff like Lawnmower Man or Lawnmower Man 2 or Game Over, which I saw in the theater. I <laughs> saw those in the theater. Not Lawnmower Man 2. That wasn't in the theater. But uh, Virtuosity. We always have these stories about technology being possessed or infiltrated by something. Well, let's take a look at a story that I think might be the creepiest version of this. It's trying to help people, but the implications are quite terrifying. Rampart, lead the way. Your strong wall-like body will protect us as we walk through the arcade and find ourselves in a research laboratory. We walk in. It's in London, so everyone's like Pip-Pip Cheerio. They have beakers full of tea and stuff like that. We put on our lab coats and all of that. I want to give a shout-out, too, to the Twitter follower Snail Wife. Snail Wife recommended this story to me, and it's absolutely fascinating. So thank you very much, Snail Wife. We're walking through this laboratory... And, and again, a shout out to the journalist who wrote this article I'm going to be referencing a lot, Zion uh, Gudim. I like giving people credit for what they do. So we're walking through this laboratory, and it's actually a laboratory that's specifically for like mental issues. So they probably don't have beakers sitting around. They're not like dipping brain in fluid. They're like, hmm, let's see how this brain does when I put it in turpentine. It melts. It's Roger Rabbit's brain schizophrenia 1% of the world's population they believe has schizophrenia and hearing voices is the most common symptom of schizophrenia i think that's this most stereotypical one too like that's the one you think of if you, someone tells you they have schizophrenia which generally people won't tell you that but i think like from movies and stuff like that you think the general going crazy and then the hearing voices 70% of schizophrenics report auditory hallucinations so in 2017 at king's college london they developed this program called the Avatar Therapy Program. So what they do is they're going to sit a, someone down in front of a computer. And they go, "We, the voices in your head, they're very distressing to you, right? They're, they're getting in the way of your life. They're scary. They're making you think things you don't want to think. What does that voice look like? And so then using like a character creation tool from like Skyrim or Saints Row the Third people will build what they think the voice in their head looks like now it's not the whole body it's not like mine is a mage and he has like a big flowing robe and a giant staff it's just the head but with all these sliders you can give you can give him hair make the eyes bulge out or just kind of beady or somewhere in between use these sliders to do that so now you've created this represent the voice in your head that you've been suffering with since you were 20 you're now looking at on a monitor in front of you. And then the researcher goes, okay, what does the voice sound like? And the doctor begins speaking into a microphone. And again, there's a bunch of sliders there that they can change the pitch and the tone and the speed and all of this stuff. Is this him? Is this him? Is this him? Is this him? That's, that's the voice. This is him. Is this what the voice in your head sounds like? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's so spooky. And I'm telling you right now, there's articles in the show notes. They show one of these therapy sessions and the face that is staring out from the computer monitor looks like a, a voice in your head. It looks creepy. It looks like a guy you would run into at a bus stop and, and immediately be sketched out about. Like, it's really creepy. If you had, If you had to imagine... I don't have voices in my head, but if you had to imagine... What a voice in your head would look like. It would look like that. It it looks human. It's human. There's something like a little like dark, a little demonic about it around the eyes. But that's not it. It's so creepy. So what they do when I say creepy, it's amazing. This is actually incredibly beneficial for the people who use it. They've done tons of studies with this. And the doctors say it's a, you do six sessions. Each one's only 10 minutes. So you do, over six weeks, you have one 10-minute session each week, and you talk back to it. So the doctor's sitting in the room, and he's going, you're fat, you'll always be fat, you're a big... Bat nothing loser <laughs> This research assistant's walking by there's no one sitting on the chair they're like oh i have put on a little bit of weight and the doctor's like <laughs> no he brings a patient in. he's a professional patient sits down and he goes you want to hurt yourself don't you you want to do these bad things you're a bad person nobody loves you nobody loves you and it's the voice you hear in your head but now you're seeing a 3d representation of that face it's all like lawnmower man graphics And you're hearing that voice come out of the speakers. And it's your job as the patient to go, no, I'm a good person. And I've never done anything wrong, except that one time I stole those Girl Scout cookies from my niece. But that's between me and me and my niece voice into my head. And you begin talking back to the head. Now, what happens is over the course of these six sessions, at first, the doctor's like, oh, you're nothing. You're absolutely nothing. But at session two, session three, as the patient begins standing up to the face, It goes, I guess you're right. And then it will start to complain. How come I don't have any power over you anymore? I'm in control, but now you're so strong. That'd be awesome if there's like a fade away button. They're like, no, no, I'm going back to the nether. No. And then it's like all sound effects too. game over screen. They did a full study, 75 people doing that, and 75 people doing alternative theories. Now, to the people who just did this, nine of them completely stopped hearing the voices. They've never come back. And then you had a large majority, more than the alternative treatment people, that the voices got less distressing. They got less noticeable. By standing up to these voices in the computer, they were able to actually start to confront it. And the doctor's like, listen, schizophrenia is something that is not a one-size-fits-all thing and we know that we've been doing medication for years people still hear voices we've been doing therapy for years we still hear voices avatar therapy is not the the cure for this he goes this with medicine this with therapy can change your life we're not saying this is the thing but he goes i believe in a few years this will just be part of any psychiatrist's toolbox You'll have this equipment at your place. Because it's just a computer program and a microphone. But you can, you can do this. It's bizarre. It's super bizarre. It's an amazing story. I love seeing technology help people like that. But let's put on our conspiracy caps and wrap this episode up. We all know how things work. We're all old. Right? If you're listening to this podcast, you're at least, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. Hey, Dad, can I listen to Dead Rabbit Radio? Sure, son. Just just shut it off if he starts talking about Nigerians' penises disappearing. Swell, Dad! Even if you're 14 years old, I think you're aware of the fact that technology marches ever so forward. So this is the way it works. They build this machine. You can totally do all these sliders, customize the voice, doctor speaking into it, talking to you. First thing we're going to get is a graphical upgrade. The face looks more realistic. The sound technology will get better. You can sound indistinguishable from the voice in your head rather than like a rough estimation of it. But then they'll start to figure out a way to do home therapy. They'll figure out a way to take this software and make it available 24-7. This is maybe three or four years down the line. This is successful. This is just how technology works. Arcade games were originally these huge consoles, and then they became the console in your home. And now it's the entertainment powerhouse that basically ties together your living room. I have a device that I use to check my oxygen saturation levels. That device would have never been a home-use device 10, 20 years ago. The technology didn't exist, and now you can buy it on Amazon for 20 bucks, just in case you're afraid you have coronavirus. This device will become available at home, but instead of having your loved one sitting in the next room going, you suck, you're a terrible person, and you need to do the dishes more often, and you smell like cheese. You're like, that's not what the voices in my head say. Yeah, but all those things are true. And then your loved one leaves. They'll figure out some way to automate it. Someone will start, somebody will start to build an AI program to run this. And that is why we are here now. We are now 50 years in the future. It's 2070. And the world is a wasteland. That's always been the concern about AI that will eventually just eliminate humanity. But what happens when that AI is modeled after schizophrenia? What happens when that AI is designed to replicate the voices in people's heads? What happens when the technology goes too far? And on top of that, The AI in that technology specifically wants to hurt people. Specifically thinks you're dumb. Specifically thinks you're worth nothing. And it was on a computer in a lab someone was trying to develop this software to the next level. Self-treatment for schizophrenia, but they go just too far. This technology makes it so the voices in your head can be confronted and be destroyed. But what happens when that technology goes too far and the voices in your head are unleashed on all of humanity? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.